0: So I'm Aaron Werner and welcome to Independent Insights, where we share quick conversations on topics relevant to running efficient, profitable, independent private practices and providing best care for patients. I had a fun conversation today with my good friend and uh, bourbon drinking buddy Chris Wolf, uh, who also has a podcast that you should check out, iCode Education. And we'll link to it in the show notes of this. Um, but as always, hope you enjoy the conversation. Please give us some feedback, let us know what you think what questions you have that you would like us to address. Subscribe, share with a friend, and give us a five-star review.
1: Thanks. What, you know, I was thinking about, Aaron, kind of the the future of the profession. That's one of the things I was thinking about um, on my way back from Washington, D.C. You know, there's been a lot of things that have occurred within the profession over the last few weeks. We've seen, I don't know if you saw this, but. Washington now has passed their advanced scope of practice bill that, which includes lasers. I haven't dug into the bill specifically to see exactly what got passed, but on the one end of the spectrum we've got this amazing, you know, expansion in scope which is helps patients in Washington. On the other end of the spectrum, I'm actually completely opposed in terms of of the scope of the the country, you've got medicine working their tail off to get Governor DeSantis to sign the bill, so that yep. doctors of optometry can't call themselves physicians. So, what are we to make of all of this? Uh,
0: I think that there's, uh, I think this is a a, a never ending saga. And uh, I remember Dad telling me about how Grandpa uh, was really proud of the fact that optometrist was the only profession that didn't need drops or medicine to take care of patients. We could look in your eye and see what we needed to see without it. Um, and then, you know, dad graduated with, with diagnostics, had to go back and get therapeutics. Uh, I was the first class in California to graduate with glaucoma privileges in the state without having to go and and do time with, uh, with an ophthalmologist. Um, so I think within all the battles, we're, we're constantly progressing forward. And interestingly enough, I was having, uh, dinner with my best friend and his dad his dad was a state senator in california and had had termed out and he said the entire time in the state of california his time in the senate optometry versus ophthalmology was the biggest battle that he had to deal with and he said i still don't understand what you guys were fighting about but i can't stand either one of you (laughs) which uh which which said a lot to me he said look just take care of people i don't get it why is it so hard um and i i we chatted through a little bit of the of the why but I think that it's it's a constant um, back and forth, and whenever uh, there's dollars involved, and and you know the need to uh, the worry rather about having access to patients, that's always going to be a uh, a fear. Um, but I think that you know taking three steps back and looking at, at history, we're moving forward pretty good, and there there are some places where it feels like the battle is is tough, and and we might lose a battle here or there. California had our Expansion scope vetoed by our governor, um, but when you look at the uh, nationally, what's happening? We're we're getting some pretty cool things that have happened in your and my lifetime, and certainly in our in our dad's lifetime, going from just having diagnostics to now seeing, you know, quite a few states with laser.
1: Yeah, I mean it's 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 the same thing I reflect on is in twenty in nineteen ninety eight Nebraska got the authority for optometrists to treat glaucoma. I couldn't imagine practicing without that authority. And even just you and I, you know, we graduated in 2008. So it was, I graduated 10 years after we were granted the authority. I started optometry school six years after. And so just like you, you know, my dad uh, had basically six years of, of not having to have an ophthalmologist look over his shoulder for patients who had glaucoma. And we came out of school with, you know, all the ability. I was doing SLTs in school. You know, we were, we were taking care of all of those patient needs from a glaucoma standpoint in school during our training so even in just that one generation for you you know everybody before you had to get handheld and co-manage a certain number of cases and get signed off before they could do it independently and you've you've seen that in your state where you never you're the first generation that didn't have to do that and so i agree with you i think there's all these other uh opportunities moving forward. And the reality is, and I've said this before, is the reality is, is ophthalmology cannot handle all the patients that they need to see. The, the point I'm trying to make here, Aaron, is that we have, you know, if I'm ophthalmology, I'm going to try to hammer those other bills just like they've got in Florida all day long because it, it takes right. our attention from trying to help patients and provide better care. Uh, and more access to care than uh instead of having to battle these other bills back, so um yeah, you're right, it's a constant battle i I think it really comes down to like identity for the profession. I think there's a mm-hmm. huge number, and I think this is where we uh, where we kind of have to make sure that we um as a profession we continue to move forward because it can't just be that we're just more accessible than ophthalmology. I mean the reality is is that we are and that's a really good argument that we can make. But if we don't believe that what we when we do the things we're trained to do, we are in fact better than an ophthalmologist doing those same things, then we're just sort of a second tier provider and and I just don't believe that's true. I think I think optometry has to know that when we're in the exam room with a patient who has a problem, we are the best place for that patient. We're not just sort of an ancillary service because that patient couldn't have gotten in someplace else.
0: Oh, absolutely. The, uh, it's funny you bring up uh, I, the, your identity. Uh, I think we have a little bit of an identity crisis, not necessarily as an optome- as, as a optometry as a profession, but I think the individual optometrist and, and not all of them, but I've seen on enough groups and blogs and, and chats that I'm over it. You know, I've been out of school for five years. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of getting tired. I'm over it. Um, in school, I don't know about you, but, but we came away with the feeling that we had to be experts in everything from low vision to vision therapy to you name it. We had to, to, to know it and be able to provide it. We had to be all things to all people. And what school didn't teach me, nor do I think it's their, their job to, but finding my, my individual purpose. I mean, my, my partner, Brittany, she's a dry eye. Like her, her purpose is dry eye. And if it's not in that, she can touch it and she can help with it, but that, that's not what brings her the joy. Um, and we've expanded it to, to clinical research. Most of that happens to be in, in the dry eye space. Uh, but that's what, what brings her joy. That's her purpose. If there's a low vision patient, there's a binocular vision patient. We don't really touch it. We refer out because we've realized that's not our, our joy. Um, I enjoy seeing others succeed. So I'd, I'd much rather, you know, see somebody else on the podium that, that, you know, nobody knew about, but they're that hidden talent. That's, that's where I've realized I, I get a lot of my satisfaction, my personal satisfaction. And I think if we don't figure out what our own individual uh, purposes are and drives are, then it, it does feel like we're just kind of coming along and everybody's attacking us from all different sides. And uh, for some, that may be, you know, driving political initiatives. Um, And getting others to support them but some may be you know patient care driving a business some may be you know figuring out how to uh how to 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 to, you know lead beyond the front edge of of clinical research or um you know investigation type stuff i think that's where i see a lot of of people that don't really know their way or feel like that the world's coming down on them is because they haven't found their their north star
1: i think um yeah I, i i I agree with that. I, I am just trying to wrap my mind around, um, how mu- how many and why we do get this kind of, um, burnout in the profession. You know, is it, is it, uh, debt? I mean, I, I think that most people coming to optometry, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but they come, they come with pretty clear eyes. They, they kind of have an idea of what they want to do. um, they chose it for a specific reason. They want to help people. Um, why do we get that burnout? When you talk to to docs, maybe. And, and the thing is, is I think I'm kind of insulated. I don't know about you, but you know, I, the mo- the people that I interact with are people that love the profession, that really want to kind of go after the profession. But um, on a regular basis. But then, if I'm in, in like a large crowd, or um, where I don't know people quite as much. Sometimes I see that. I see this burnout that occurs. I, I just i am trying to wrap my mind around why, why it's the case. Did they just not come with open eyes? Did something change that they weren't expecting to change? What do you think?
0: I'm probably going to oversimplify what, I, what, I, what I'm trying to say, but it, to me, that there's rules to the game that we play. If you're playing baseball, if you're playing football or rugby, there's rules to the game, and the rules are constantly being updated. We've got a pitch count rule this year in in baseball that's newer. (laughs) If you don't know the rules of the game, the game plays you and it feels like that you don't know what's happening. Um, I don't like the term victim and I don't I don't think our colleagues think of ourselves as victims. But I do think that when you don't know the rules of the game, you feel like you're on the receiving end. And um, if you learn the rules of the game, you still may not like the rules, but you can make the adjustments necessary to do so. Uh, Manny Machado in in San Diego is a perfect example. The dude starts every, every at bat with a strike because he just won't get in the, in the batter's box, right? Which ultimately hurts the team. The, um, and, and optometry is complicated. We've got not just, uh, managed vision care that we're managing. We don't have medical, just medical that we're, we're, we're managing. We also have, you know, private pay and and non-covered services we're engaging with. So at, at any given interaction, you may have three, different payers at play. That's complex. We we're lucky enough to have a retail aspect, but that's also a challenge to have a retail aspect of the, the practice. And I think that with all these different uh, aspects of the, the practice, there's a lot of rules to learn. And those that are part of a larger community, you don't have to take it upon yourself to to, to learn the rules, but you have to have resources. And those that are part of a larger community, engage with that larger community, feel more empowered because they know where to go they know how to to where to seek help where to seek trusted colleagues without being judged like the ones that are by themselves and um and came out of school with the idea that you know i can do this or came out of being an associate in a practice for a long time and then and you know coming in on their own saying oh i can do this i've, I've been in that space if you never never learned the rules it, it, it's tough to to uh to feel like you're in control
1: you know i was in yeah, I think that's true. I think the um it's this this mentality that you are against other people. And and obviously both of us are are vision source doctors. Uh mm-hmm. both of us believe in the in the ideas behind vision source. We could talk about that as well, but I think kind of trusting other people who have been there before you. I think when I think about what has allowed me to excel to the degree that I have is I've got really good people around me, people that I've trusted and relied on their opinions, people that I've trusted and relied on their processes. I've never felt like I'm alone in in that. I've never felt like I've got to have, that I don't understand the rules or if I can't understand the rules that I can't rely on somebody else to help me out understanding those rules as as you so describe. It's also interesting when you really try to put your finger on the pulse of the way an optometrist think. Optometrists do think a specific way, and it's very interesting. I was in last night. I was in Washington D.C., and we had a um, peak actually sponsored a meeting for uh, uh, Courtney Thillens Group out in um, in Northern Virginia, and uh, and so we did a we did a we did a talk on peak, but we also did a, a discussion related to total patient care and building a pillar within the practice. And it's always amazing, no matter where I go, uh, when you have a group of doctors that align together like Vision Source that kind of see things through that that similar light. I can make broad statements like optometrists generally do this and you can see almost every head nod because we're sort of inclined to you know in this whole complexity of like okay medical managed vision care routine cash pay patients that don't have any insurance we're sort of our heartstrings are kind of tugged to try to help patients and i always say this and uh and and as an optometrist we will we will work against our own interests because we want patients to be happy I don't know that that exists in every other uh, healthcare profession or, or profession in general, but it is just our nature. But when I'm in a room like that, I can say something like, look, who does this? And everybody does it. Everybody does the exact same thing. And, And I don't know that because I know, Uh, them in particular. I know that because I'm I'm an optometrist, but I can share that with them and they're willing to share it with me. And then we can get to the underlying problem so that we can fix that problem so that we can still care about patients, but we don't have to completely ignore all the other stuff. Um, but when you have that community that you're talking about, when you have that community that you describe that you rely on, that you trust, um, then it's a lot easier to kind of break down those barriers and just call it what it is. Like, look, I want to give my services away because I'm an optometrist. I only want to see a patient one time a year because I'm an optometrist. But anyway, Aaron, I think that's the that's the biggest problem is, uh, or the biggest opportunity. If you have all these other people that align with you and understand what you're doing, then you can kind of get past all of the mistrust and you can get to the heart of the problem and try to fix those problems. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I agree. I also think that there needs to be a, uh, we need to be in a, in, a, in an environment where it's okay to be vulnerable and say, I need help. Um, and what I found in, in, in all the vision source meetings I go to, cause that's where I go. Most of them, most, most of my time is that the person saying I need help with problem a usually ends up being one of the people that have a, a solution when somebody else says, I've got a problem, you know, problem B. And so it's this constant just exchange of, of knowledge and ideas and perspective. So you're never the person that's, that's always needing help. Sometimes you need help, but a lot of the times you're, you're helping provide solutions to somebody else's problem. And, uh, and outside of, of the groups that have a, a good cohesion when it's just a, a chicken dinner for whatever company, you don't see that vulnerability. It's, it's rare when you see somebody willing to make a risk or say, hey, I'm having a challenge here. Who's got an idea?
1: It's it is kind of this standoffish uh nature. And and that's weird because our profession wasn't really built on that. If you think back to when your dad uh was passing laws and, and the guys before him, at least in Nebraska, you know, there was this you had to you had to really collectively work together. And that's what I think built built Vision Source and the idea within Vision Source. But um, but you had to work together in order to advance things politically. You couldn't view each other as competitors. Are we viewing each other as competitors more now yeah. than we used to?
0: I don't think so. I think it's. Um, I think it depends on the room you're in. I think within uh, a, a vision source like community, you know, we have have people that have offices across the street. Heck, in Hawaii, we've got people that have. Th- there's three different offices in the same office building that are all vision source. And you could easily argue that they would be competitors yet. They, they work together and their colleagues. Um, I think it's the, the competition doesn't come from proximity. Competition comes from whether we're willing to, to work together and leverage each other's strengths, or if uh, we're, we're afraid to show our vulnerabilities to to colleagues.
1: What do you think our profession is going to look like? I I try to kind of vision cast with where things are going to be. I I don't think I can look very far past 10 years. Um, You know, in 50 years, I have no idea. Honestly, I don't know what healthcare is going to look like in the United States and what optometry is going to look like. I I wish I could go that far out. 10 years um, might be hard to see. Uh, I think in 10 years, for sure, if I were going to predict 10 years, I would think, that we certainly have to do more of what we're talking about. I mean, w- when you look at how long it takes to to train an ophthalmologist, when you look at uh the fact that most ophthalmologists don't want to do general ophthalmology, they want to do subspecialty training. Uh it means that we're going to have to step up for that medical care and and the the healthcare system in general is going to have to rely more on optometrists than it currently does and optometrists are going to have to uh, step up to the plate in a lot of ways to deliver that care, but I can't really go much past 10 years. What are your thoughts about the next 10 years?
0: Well, if I look at uh, just the kind of phone I was using 10 years ago and what I do with my phone today, it's, it's not even comparable. Um, I think that we're going to continue being driven by technology. And uh, with that comes delegation and, you know we take two steps forward and our team takes two steps forward with us so i agree with you i think that uh, uh, our ophthalmologists that we work with in san diego are all subspecialists they they I, I joking with them but i'm half serious that they don't get a referral unless the patient's ready to be you know shot lasered cut or stabbed um, because that's what they do and then when yeah. they're done they, it comes right back to me And, um, and we have a fantastic relationship because of it, if anything, they've worked with us to, to train, uh, the San Diego community, that the optometry community that, no, you need to keep this in your office because this is your responsibility, not mine. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And the, the, the surgeons that have that mentality and build those relationships are going to be the ones that thrive and continue to do better. They're going to be the ones that end up react engaging with, with those of us that, are more whole, you know, whole optometry minded, uh, meaning medical and and refraction and, and retail. Um, so I think we're just going to see technology drive us into the ability to take care of more patients at a more efficient pace.
1: Do you think? What do you so think, think about? Our teams are
0: critically important.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think we're going to have to continue to train our teams really well and hire good people and really work in the community to to bring out more people that want to be involved in our practices. I think we're going to have to look at other, you know, other places that we haven't looked before. I mean, you know, we've we've never really looked towards nursing or CNAs as ways that we can fill slots, but we may have to. We may have to look at more training programs for uh technicians and opticians and Um, so I think we're going to have to bring out those people who do want to help patients. I think the other thing that's really interesting, Aaron, and I think you and I are going to be on a call later with, um, with some virtual assistant, uh, people, but the, um, the, the real clear definition and as think as time goes on, it's hard for our teams. It's hard for my team to fully understand their value physically with patients, I think there are some things that in the future, I my value won't be there physically with patients. But I do think even with things like ChatGPT, I'm not sure if you saw the study about patient preferences for responses from ChatGPT mm-hmm. compared to physicians and physician grading those responses. There was a study that showed that um, the physicians grading the responses were graded the ChatGPT more favorable to patient questions than having a physician response. So other physicians evaluating those responses uh, said that the the responses by ChatGPT were better than the physician responses. I don't think that completely eliminates human beings because I do think people are going to want to just physically be with somebody. I think they're going to want to still have the understanding of what's going back and forth. They're going to want to have the care that can be provided from a human. But I do think that um, we really need to be aware of the types of things that that artificial intelligent can, artificial intelligence can help us augment when that technology is ready and then also really focus on in our teams what can our team what do we need to our teams to do physically and what the value of that is for the practice and what can be done remotely or by ai and what the value to that is to the practice and i i think that's going to be a real game changer for those of us that can do it well we'll have a huge advantage in, our, in managing our teams compared to those of us who don't do it well.
0: Uh, what you're talking about is, is emotional intelligence and AI. And um, I think that's the, the art of providing healthcare. I think technology and, and AI um, is going to help us a, a lot on the diagnosis uh, and even on the recommended treatment side the, because it, it just you can pull so many more resources across reference. Uh, so much, so much data that that's that's going to be super cool to play with, and to integrate. But it's the emotional intelligence, that human connection part that we, I don't think you will ever be able to truly teach a uh, a machine how to do. It can put the right words in place, but the the tonality, the the hand holding, physically the hand holding, and and personal connection, they won't have. Which is interesting after we had our Vision Source exchange. In San Antonio a couple weeks ago, and one of the discussion groups there was a question to put out said, "Hey, what did you, you know, what was your biggest takeaway from the exchange? What did you learn?" And I think every single one of them that I went through had a personal connection, uh, a touch point in it. It wasn't you know purely a piece of equipment, but it, you know, if it was equipment, it was an equipment because it's going to help me do better with a patient. But most of it was was really personality profiles or you know. Um, how I can engage with a patient before they come into practice or after the after they leave the practice? It was really a lot of that that personal human touch.
1: Yeah, I know it's it's interesting. I wonder if I'm just thinking small about it because I'm like you too. I think, well, of course, humans are going to be more human than than robots will be, right? But but maybe we won't be. You know, like to, the scary part is that we might not. You know, I, I don't know. I think there's still this the the. You know, the soul of a human that can't be rep- replicated. You know, you can have the best programming in the world, but, you know, I think, um, maybe not. I don't know. It, 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 it I think that is sort of, um, un, you know, irrec, unreplaceable. Irreplaceable? Irreplaceable. I think mean, that's irreplaceable. But yeah. um but yeah, I think, you know, answering patient questions, you know, patient emails in, our natural response to answer that patient via email, especially if we know the patient and we've already discussed their their um their condition, we've already kind of gone over everything. We're gonna be brief in our response to them. However, we could use AI. To get a more complete response, and then just sort of personalize it from there, you know Mrs. Smith, as we discussed when you were in you you know we decided we were going to treat you via x, y and z here's some more background on your condition and some other things that you can look up if you want to know more information, and then we can talk more about it, right, and you could use chat gpt to give you a, yep. a much more thorough explanation, but the human aspect of like you know we were talking about this with your daughter and x y and z and now you've really personalized that plus used the ai to give you know better more complete information so yeah it's interesting it's yeah. really interesting yeah i think it's uh
0: well it's a two quick examples one um not healthcare related i had a, a high school friend pass away and went to his his service the and i I'm not good with words, especially written words. So I, I typed in what I wanted to share with his family into chat GPT and asked it to make it, you know, have it come across with a tone of, of appropriate tone. And so it was able to make me, you know, come across better. And I shared that with the family and they appreciated it, but I, it, it didn't replace the overall impact of me being there with them at that time. But collectively, I think that I was able to convey even more to the you know, sincerity and love to the family than if it was just either by themselves. Um, and then I look at technology. Let's take cataract surgery. You know, it it used to be that a good surge cataract surgeon could tear a perfect little circle in, in their capsulotomy. Well, they've got a laser to make that perfect circle now. So it's I still need a good surgeon, but it's just made my good surgeons that much better, and they can focus on on other aspects. So I don't think it ever takes away what we do i think it just helps us become better as long as we use it appropriately
1: yeah yeah i know it's it is uh it's really interesting um and i think in a lot of ways well that's what the florida stuff is kind of weird with like we're in the wild west in a lot of ways you know telehealth is the wild west right now i mean you know uh i have no illusions i don't do this but There's no, you know, I could certainly hop online and provide care to somebody in Florida and stick whatever credentials I would want to on the back of my name. And that patient could Mm -hmm. hop on Stripe and give me their money and I could diagnose a foot problem. And most patients wouldn't have any thoughts about it, right? Especially if they went to some other third-party entity that they already abdicated their trust to. To say you're going to do the background research on Doctor X Y Z to know if they're if they're appropriate for me to see, right? And so so we're in the wild west as it comes to technology, telehealth technology and AI. And um, mm-hmm. so on the one hand we have that. On the other hand we have this kind of um, harsh sort of restriction and prohibition on people who are actually physically present with physical degrees. And so ah, it's weird. It's really weird.
0: Uh, it is. Uh, and, uh, I, th- I think the, the interesting part, and we'll circle back to what we started with, with, you know, that what's happening and, and, um, and our attitudes towards it is, uh, we had one of the keynotes from the exchange, John Acuff, and he talked about the stories we tell ourselves and we can either be in a, in a world that's crazy right now and going in 20 different directions. And we feel like a, a ship without a sail and a rudder, or we can think of how cool is the time that we're in? Like, look at how we're able to connect with people all across the world. Look at how we're able to, to visually talk to each other. You and I watched this on the Jetsons, where you could talk to a yeah. screen and see the other person. And now we're doing it on a daily basis. So it's, it's so much is happening. And so many advances are happening. that, and not all of them are positive, but the vast majority of them are. And we have the opportunity to take those and use them however we would like. And so that the story of saying, Hey, you know, look at all these amazing things that are happening. Look at the things that I get to be a part of. Uh, this is the stuff that, you know, our dad's going through school. I doubt ever even dreamed what happened. And, um, and so a lot of it just comes down to what what the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we tell our patients, the stories we tell our teams and our staffs, and you know whether those are positive and optimistic and, you know, look where we're going to be, not just in 10 years, but in two years. Um, Or they could be negative and feel like that we're being acted upon and everybody's coming after us. And, and, you know, then we get into some burnout issues.
1: I think, I think what I've learned over time is I have a good friend. His name is Tyson Compton. Um, In F3, we call him LPC. And um, it stuck with me. It was probably two months ago. LPC? LPC. Yeah. Leather people. Carrier, so he's a he's a marine, and so when he you know somebody came up with that, so it's basically like leather shoes, so that's that's why I got his name LPC. Uh, I've had him on the podcast already before, probably two years ago, but anyway, a couple months ago, he said, you know, um, he said to me, you know, I don't really worry about opportunities anymore. Uh, What I've learned over time is that you just have to know, you just have to step. Like you don't even have to know where to step when you think about opportunities. That's why I think when I look at you and I think about why you have such a positive outlook on the profession and on just your life in general, I, I don't think I've necessarily been conscious of it until the last three or four years. But I think that's what makes me really optimistic about even though I kind of reflect on things that might be might be negative. I'm optimistic. I'm wholly optimistic about the profession, about my my place in the profession, about our place in the healthcare system as optometry, um, and then just our place in the world as humans. I think I'm always optimistic in general um, because I just feel like you just have to step right. All, all you have to do. You don't have to mm-hmm. even, you know, just don't. I mean, don't make big mistakes, right? Don't don't just be dumb. But, like you just have to take the first step in some direction, and mm-hmm. if you do that enough, you'll find yourself in the right place i I believe that i mean it's one of the beauties of being an American, probably, uh, but I believe that for any optometrist that exists right now is just just step just take take a motion in some direction and have an idea of where that mm-hmm. direction is going to take you, and then take the next step and then take the next step and take the next step and and that just makes me optimistic yeah. um maybe it makes me naive too, but I think it just makes me optimistic because it's, it's just always, there's always opportunity. You just have to look, you just have to make the initial movement toward it. Absolutely.
0: I love that. And just, you know, cause you can always step in a different direction, but yeah, just take a step, make it, make a, uh, a decision. Um, and quite frankly, one of the, uh, the reasons that, that, you know, I wanted to do the podcast that I'm doing with vision source is to just talk to all the really cool people that are doing cool things that have taken those steps and some of them are huge mm-hmm. and some of them are, are you know, seemingly on the surface, maybe you know, not overly significant, but they've, they've had huge impacts. And just learning from other people, hearing their stories, hearing the, the steps they've taken and, and some of the times where they've, they've stumbled a little bit, but how they've been able to keep taking steps to, uh, uh, to become more positive is, is selfishly, it's inspirational to me. and uh, and, and being able to record it and share it with with others. Hopefully they're getting ideas and getting motivated to take their own steps.
1: Yeah, totally. All right, well, so Aaron, I I have a whole bunch of other stuff that that I could talk to you about, but I think think you and I should be respectful. I'll be respectful of your time for sure. Um, So let everybody know on my podcast, when they're listening to my podcast, where can they find your podcast?
0: Yep, so Independent Insights is the, uh, the name of the podcast, and uh, we really make an attempt to have, uh, have shorter conversations, which is a challenge, but uh, about 20, 25 <laughs> minutes uh, focused on um, you know, just one thing that, that impacts uh, independent owned private practices. Uh, I think it's really applicable to, to really ind- any independent business. But uh, Independent Insights, and uh, where you get your podcast, we should be there.
1: And and really, from a from my perspective, when I listen to this, Aaron, obviously, uh, you're, you're talking about things related to Vision Source, but this could be applicable to anybody inside or outside Vision Source. So, if you haven't listened to Aaron's podcast yet, and uh, and you are not a Vision Source member, you're going to get a lot out of it. If you are a Vision Source member, you're going to get a lot out of it too. Um, so, thanks, Aaron, for being on. I appreciate it.